G'day, Osha here. This is better than yesterday. Thanks for downloading the show. I'm driving. Sometimes I do this while I'm driving because it's the only time I get a chance to be where I can talk. But I wanted to thank you for downloading the show and thanks for supporting the show. We've been going for over seven years now, which is pretty exciting. The only way I can do that is through the extraordinary help of Andy Ma, my audio producer, and Rachel Barrett, my show producer, and I need to pay them. So you might hear an ad in a minute. Well, in a minute, I mean like now. If you do, thank you. You're helping me keep the show on the road. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you think about a lot of, of situations like climate change, coronavirus, the situation that we're in now, people just do feel a little bit powerless and out of control and if you think you know the truth and other people don't then it helps you like you say to feel a bit safer to feel a little bit more in control and satisfies this need that you might have to I guess have the knowledge and um, certainty that other people don't have so um, whether or not they work I don't think particularly they do satisfy these sorts of needs because if anything people end up feeling worse if they believe in conspiracy theories the more you kind of go down this rabbit hole, the less satisfying it actually becomes. You you start to feel more more powerless, more disillusioned. You trust people much less. So I don't think it really works, but I think that people do use them as a coping mechanism and also a way to just generally feel good about themselves. That is Professor Karen Douglas, who is an expert in the psychology of why people believe conspiracy theories. And this is episode 347 of Better Than Yesterday. Welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Thanks for being here. This is episode 347 of the show with Professor Karen Douglas. Uh, she's a professor at Kent University. 
in Kent. And um, you can find her on Twitter at Karen underscore Douglas. More about her in a moment. She's an expert in conspiracy theories. She's probably the world's leading expert in conspiracy theories. And she's truly extraordinary. I'm very excited to have her on the show today. Um, Before we get into that, if this is your first ever episode, thanks for listening to the show. It's a show called Better Than Yesterday. All I am to do on this show is make sure that something that happens in this conversation will help you make today better than yesterday. Just a little bit. That's it. On Mondays, I speak with the guest. On Fridays, I speak with you. And I'm here every Monday and Friday. Have been since 2013. And I'm grateful that I can be a part of your week. I'm Osher Ginsberg. I'm a a TV and a podcasting guy. I wrote, wrote a book called Back After the Break. The second edition is out now. Thanks to everybody that is helping out with the sales of that. I know it's tricky in this time when you can't really leave the house much, but thanks for getting your hands on it. Quite a long tale, that book, which uh, I guess that's why it's gone for a second edition, second print, but that's pretty schmick. Uh, the show's called book is called Back After the Break. Um, what else do I do? I'm a dad, I'm a stepdad, and I'm currently on my way to get my hearing aids adjusted. That's what I'm doing. I'm on the way to the audiologist who's on the other side of the bridge, so I'm going to the dark side, and I've left late so far out, you're going to get some commentary through the traffic as I get frustrated as we go along here. It's July 2020 is when I'm recording this, so if you're listening to this in five or ten years, you know what happened in July 2020. But we're right now in New South Wales, at least. We're kind of staring across the fence at Victoria going, holy shit, do we have to go into lockdown too? I mean, Christ, by the time this airs, we might be going back in. I don't know. Uh, it's week to week, it's hour to hour. There's a lot of uncertainty around and it's a bit tricky. And with that uncertainty comes a, a grasping at straws for wanting to know more, wanting to know more knowledge. And there's been quite a number of conspiracy theories floating around about COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, stimulus packages, you name it. And I, I really, you know, I've seen some mates really fall down the rabbit hole. People I love, people I trust, people I care about have slipped right off the edge down scary rabbit holes around this shit. And um, I wanted to go to the source. So I have found the world's leading expert. She really is the world's leading expert in conspiracy theories and the psychology of why people believe in conspiracy theories and and follow conspiracy theories. And I can't wait to have her on the show today. Oh, shush, I know I'm close to that car, but I'm not going fast. I appreciate the warning. Thank you very much. I like my car. It's good. Thanks to everybody that listened to the show on Friday. It was a, a bit of a check-in show that involved a guided relaxation. I wouldn't really call it a meditation, but it was more of a guided relaxation, just taking you through what it is that I do when I wake up with anxiety, which has been happening a bit lately. I mean, I'm back on meds, but even when, even though you're back on meds, every now and again, you know, life will throw up some pretty un- uncertain stuff and, and your body will react, and that's what's kind of happening with me at the moment, and I know that. I know it's just uncertainty about going back down to Melbourne to do Masked Singer and the travel that's involved and being away from my family and potentially missing the first steps of our baby son. Fuck. I'm doing laps around the living room with him, I swear. I'm holding him by the fingers and he's holding me by the fingers and we're doing laps because I do not want to end up as the guy from the Harry Chapin song. I do not want him to learn to walk while I was away. Uh, but that might happen. And if it does, it does. And there's nothing I can do about it, but we're trying hard. And so, yeah, I'm waking up. I, I, you know, like I said, I know I'm back on meds, but meds don't cure everything. And so I'm a bit worried about that. And so at three o'clock in the morning, I've been firing my eyes open, just full of fear and 
I only have to think for about 30 seconds to make it go away, but then my body's full of it those hormones that make your heart race and your stomach feel weird and that's when I do those relaxations and I, I'm, I'm grateful that it helped so many people and that so many people enjoyed that and if you would like more of them please let me know send us your email at gmail.com just send me an email and if, if you like that if you're into it if you got value out of it just let me know if you thought it was a bunch of codswallop that's fine uh, let me know that as well send us your email at gmail.com is my email address. Um, I think that was it. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing I have to ask you to tell other people about this show. That's it. Because, like, that really is... That's the thing that really pushes this show more than anything. I've I've tried advertising on Facebook. I've tried pushing it on Instagram. I've tried whatever. All right? Whatever it is that I try, nothing is as effective at helping this show grow than people telling other people about the show. So, if you could do me a kindness, find the share feature of the podcasting app you're listening to this on and share this episode with somebody that needs to hear it maybe you've got a mate that doesn't believe the moon landings happened maybe you've got someone that you're aware of someone that you know is convinced that the current global pandemic is is part of another greater conspiracy for something they might need to hear some of the research around what's actually going on in their heads why they're actually grasping for an explanation that resides in a dark and misty unprovable conspiracy theory they might need a bit of a hand as to just understanding what it is they uh, they have found themselves believing in. Because it can be scary as shit, as I talk uh, with Karen about. It can be really terrifying to be in that jumping at shadows kind of paranoia that can happen once you slip right off that slope and believe that everything in the world is out to get you. That can be pretty scary. So um, I hope that there's someone in your life that can get value out of this episode. I guess one particular conspiracy theory that is quite a big one and, uh, as you know, is quite topical for me is the topic of vaccines. So if you enjoy conversations with powerful, smart, incredible women who are dedicating their lives to bringing truth to the world, you may enjoy episode 288 with Sonia Pemberton. She is an extraordinary filmmaker who has made brilliant science films around not only nuclear power but also... uh, Vaccines. I would thoroughly recommend, I believe her, her film is called Jabbed. And she and I had a fantastic conversation. If you just scroll back through your podcast feed to episode 288, you can find it back there. Um, here's just a little taste. With the vaccine issue, you know, we literally have sample sizes of millions of people across the world. And we know they save lives. We know they don't cause harm in the vast majority, and I'm talking 20 million to one kind of ratio. Now, is there one in 20 million people who have a side effect? I'm talking about a relatively serious side effect. It's possible because we can't measure one in 20 million with any real authority. We don't have the studies that can work it out at that level. We're working out the causation of the rare but real and there are a few real side effects around vaccines but they are so rare and for the most part so small that they don't come close to the benefits that we get from vaccinating that is sonia pemberton you can find her in episode 288 of the show just scroll back through this podcast feed and uh, you can find that episode there all right so let me tell you about my guest today Professor Karen Douglas is a professor of psychology at Kent University over in the UK. Her level of expertise, I guess, is focused upon the psychology behind why people believe 
in conspiracy theories and why people follow conspiracy theories or what draws people towards conspiracy theories. She's written and published many papers on the topic. She is considered the world's leading expert in this field of psychology. Uh, she has a background in the psychology of communication and techniques of persuasion, which set her up pretty brilliantly for the work that she does. It's extremely important to understand what it is you're looking at when you are seduced by a conspiracy theory. And it's extremely important to understand what it is that's happening in your head, in your body, to your ego, when you are uh, being seduced to believe in something as fantastical and untrue as a conspiracy theory. And that's the work that's, that Karen does. She's a very funny lady. She's very clever. She's magnificent to speak with. And I can't thank her enough for being so open and available to talk to me. Academics are brilliant. They will often have a public facing email address. Thankfully, she checked it. Uh, <laughs> when I, uh, I found out about her work, and um, I emailed her to go, hey, it'd be really rad if you came on our show. And away she did. She does a lot of work around the social psychology of human communication. Uh, I guess as well, she's done a lot of work on the influence of technology and human interaction. Uh, she's done a fair bit of work on fubbing, which is when you'd rather be on your phone than speak with the person in the room. She's also done a fair bit of work around the psychology of sexist language. So she's incredibly well-placed to pick apart what it is about conspiracy theories that is so seductive and is so manipulative and drives people to not only believe but also do all kinds of wacky things, um, none the least of which has been try to destroy 5G towers in, in recent times. Anyway, enough of me. Sorry about the truck next door to me, but what can you do? I'm driving. Uh, if you need to find Karen, you can find her on Twitter. She's at Karen underscore Douglas. Um, she's a, a cracking person to follow. She's done heaps of lectures that you can find online. She's a brilliant person to listen to, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, firstly, let me say good morning to you, Karen. You're in the UK, and thanks for getting out of bed early to do this. I really appreciate it. That's okay. It's 9 o'clock. Well, <laughs> still early. You know, I appreciate it. Uh, you're, uh, well, what part of the UK are you in? I'm in Canterbury in Kent, or a little town on the coast near Canterbury in Kent. And that's very near the university where you work? Yes, I work at the University of Kent in Canterbury. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do, I, do I call you professor? What do I call you? Oh, Karen, please. Cool. What's it like the day you become a professor? Um, yeah, not quite nice, actually. I think I've been a professor for maybe six years now. It's quite nice. You just get a letter saying, congratulations, you're now a professor. There's no lab coat with a monogram? I thought there was a lab coat with a monogram. No, there's nothing like that, unfortunately. We do have um, what's called an inaugural lecture. So you have to kind of stand up in front of all of your colleagues and you invite your friends and your family and, and all that sort of stuff and, and give a lecture and have a party. But other than that, you just carry on with the job exactly the same as it was the day before. Oh, I think the inaugural <laughs> lecture does sound pretty good, though. Uh, that's, you know, yeah. obviously... That's a moment where you have a, a, a chance to present some work, that the kind of work that, that got you where you are. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really, really nice. And also it's really nice to have your friends and your family there as well because uh. often they're not, they're not psychologists and they don't really know very much about what you do. So it's yeah. nice to be able to get up there and give a talk and explain yeah. to them what you've been doing all these years. So it's really nice. All the times I couldn't come to your birthday or whatever, this is why. <laughs> 
I was doing this. I was doing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's good fun. Sorry. Photoshop me now into the photos on Facebook. And then just look like I was there visiting and being a professor. Look, I'm just I, I'm just really I'm really grateful that I got in touch with you. I'm really grateful that you were you responded. I'm somebody who tends to explore far and wide and listen to all kinds of things outside of my my zone of, of knowledge as of trying to learn more stuff. And I heard your voice on I can't even remember what podcast it was. I'm like, that sounds like a fascinating person. And she's Australian, and so I've, I've got to say I'm, I'm really grateful for the. There's actually you're the, the second that I can think of immediately, of like really high end academics who just have a public email address and and you wrote back, and I'm so grateful. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was really nice that you got in touch with me. Well, I think the work that you do is so vitally important, and uh, not just for people on. I don't want to say my side of things or people on the, the rational side of things. Your work is so vitally important for the people who are stuck inside these patterns yeah. of thinking because it would be terrifying. Your work focuses on conspiracy theories and and the psychology of the belief around conspiracy theories. And it's easy to go, that person's a crackpot. Of course, global warming's is real. Of course, vaccinations can't kill you. And of, of course, the Illuminati doesn't control everything. But as someone who's lived through episodes of uh, psychosis that manifested as paranoid delusion, I, that has happened in my life. I was on meds for quite a while. I can really relate to being on the other side of it mm. and jumping at spiders and being utterly terrified and seeing proof in everything that this thing that I'm so terrified of is real and how much that would drive a person back into themselves, away from anyone, and just having those beliefs reinforced by everything they look at, it's a very volatile, unhealthy place to be. And so the work you're doing is really important for people on the other side of this as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think that conspiracy theories are just, at the moment, um, they're just, they couldn't be more relevant, I think. Like you say, people are locked down. They're spending a lot of time by themselves. There are so many more conspiracy theories floating around about coronavirus. Um, there's all sorts of things going on, which I guess attract people more to these conspiracy theories. It's really, really quite topical at the moment. I guess we should kick off by a bit of a definition first because that's kind of probably help people understand what it is we're actually talking about. And I was trying to think about, you know, what's a way that we could describe it? Okay, you've probably got a far better way of doing it, but I was just like, like a conspiracy theory is probably commonly, it's built upon the idea that the only reason that something that is uncomfortable to be true is because the people who claim that it is true stand to benefit from the truth of that thing being true. <laughs> is that too complicated already? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So, I mean, like your standard kind of, I guess, academic definition of a conspiracy theory is, is simply a proposed plot which is supposed to be carried out in secret by some powerful people. And, yes, they usually stand to benefit from whatever they're doing and other people don't. So the activities that they're engaged in, allegedly, are not supposed to be in people's general best interests and more likely to be in their own best interests. Have you found that there's also a bit of a trip switch built in there to perpetuate any kind of chance to disprove it? For example, I heard this great joke perfectly this week because it's the week I'm talking to you. Mm -hmm. Why do elephants wear red shoes? Yeah, 
it's impossible to say no, they don't. It's impossible to answer exactly. Why. No, no, do, do, do you know yeah. this joke? No, I don't. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm so excited to tell you. Let me ask you this. Okay, Professor Karen Douglas, professor who's, who's published peer-reviewed scientific work as her own conspiracy theories. Why do elephants wear red shoes? I don't know. Why do elephants wear red shoes? <laughs> so you never see them when they're stealing strawberries out of the strawberry patch. I like that. <laughs> That's right. You've never seen an elephant in a strawberry patch. Boom. Exactly. Truth. And it seems to me that any really kind of solid conspiracy theory will have that worked into it. Like A is true and B is why the truth can never be proven. So therefore A is true. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, yeah, a lot of conspiracy theories are like that. And if they're not exactly like that, then they do often have layers and layers and layers of other bits of information, which also can't be disproved. So people who believe in conspiracy theories would say, well, you can't disprove this. You can never say that that's not true. And so you just get kind of layers and layers of complexity added to often what's a very, very basic conspiracy theory. Like, I don't know what's happened. I think something's up here. We have to kind of question the truth and all that kind of stuff. But then you start adding all of these pieces of information and then all together you have what you would say is probably an unfalsifiable theory, completely unfalsifiable. And they have this idea that any evidence to the contrary that you might, if you do somehow get sucked into an argument, unfortunately, with someone who is into this irrational belief, any evidence to the contrary just justifies the truth that the conspiracy that they believe is, is built on. For example, I don't know, like the death rate per millions of vaccines mm-hmm. is lower than the standard death rate per population. But because somebody died after getting vaccinated, therefore all vaccines are dangerous and mm-hmm. Big Pharma is out to kill our children. Exactly. Like, <laughs> and I think that's, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that that is, that's one of the key features of a conspiracy theory because, of course, conspiracies do happen. They have happened in the past. So as soon as there is any kind of example of something like this having happened in the past, then suddenly anything and everything is possible. And um, another interesting thing this happens to me quite a lot if you start to say anything about conspiracy theories and and trying to refute them or debunk them then of course you are seen as being part of the conspiracy and therefore you're not a trusted source of information and you're not somebody who um, should be believed so the amount of times that I've been accused of being part of conspiracy theories and working with governments and specific individuals have been mentioned I've kind of lost count, really, the number of times that I've been put in the conspiracy theory, which, of course, you know, I just work at a university, uh, teach students and do research. I've got nothing to do with these things. <laughs> I don't know, Karen, that couch behind you looks pretty fancy. I bet you bought it with all that, all that big pharma money. <laughs> Ikea. It's actually it's a really ugly sofa. <laughs> <laughs> I piffle. It's, it's fantastic. I did kind of want to ask you about this because I've I've explored this topic quite a bit on this show. I've had it was an interesting compliment. Within the course of a number of weeks, I had a woman who's a documentary maker who made an extraordinary documentary about vaccines and the history of vaccinations. Mm-hmm. And I also had a woman who's an expert in cult indoctrination. And right. the parallels between the thinking patterns that we have as humans that get, I guess, taken advantage of by people who are perpetrating things on cult members, 
the parallels, it's just too big to ignore. Like very early on in the culture indoctrination process, they would say to you, Rationale, look, I know it's hard to believe, but all this stuff is absolutely true, that there really is a comet that is going to pass by the planet on mm. November the 17th, 2042. But there's another comet that came just before that. And those people travel around in white vans. And one day they may just come and grab you and tell you everything mm. I've told you is wrong. But you mm-hmm. need to believe that those are the people from the evil comet, okay? And yeah. so very early on, you're told that if anyone ever tries to deprogram you, they're, they're in on it. And yeah. the parallel there is, I don't know, do, have you have you explored anything along those lines in your work? No, not really. Not, I haven't really looked at the complexities and actual um, detailed features a lot of, of, of a lot of the conspiracy theories, but you're absolutely right. They often have this, and I think the white van thing is actually really, really good because white vans are everywhere. So there's always this possibility if you're slightly this way inclined that, you know, someone from a white van will jump out and get you. If you have that belief, then it's, it seems quite realistic. But um, I've mainly kind of looked into the psychological, I guess, reasons why people are attracted to conspiracy theories rather than the features of the conspiracy theories themselves, even though I think that's also really, really important and probably is a bit of a piece of the puzzle to try to understand a little bit more about why people actually believe them. So what ideas appeal to people and, and which ones don't, because it is the case that some conspiracy theories, they can last for decades um, like JFK, um, the Apollo moon landings, conspiracy theories about those sorts of events. But then you find others that people don't really entertain for very long and they just disappear after a while. So I think it's a, it is a really important question to ask, what is it about these particular beliefs that resonates with people and, and when do they not resonate with people? Is there a particular kind of person that you've found is deeper into this sort of stuff than, I mean, we've all got a mate. That's into it. And I bet that if we stood all our mates next to each other, we'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, (laughs) you'd see some commonality. Um, Have you found that? Well, in psychology, there's been a lot of research on trying to understand like personality characteristics and other differences between individuals that might mean that someone is more drawn to a conspiracy theory than others. And there have been quite a lot of factors that have been uncovered, things like demographic factors for a start, like education, level of education. So educated more people are less likely to believe these sorts of things. There's no real gender differences as far as I've found, but people who are older tend to believe them less, various things like that. In terms of personality, you find weak relationships between conspiracy beliefs and variables like self-esteem. Machiavellianism is something that kind of comes up. Tell me about Machiavellianism. So Machiavellianism is seen as a personality trait which characterizes this idea that you can be, you have a cynical approach to power and you feel, if you're sort of high in Machiavellianism, you feel that it's okay to step on people and do I guess, less moral things to get what you want to be in a position of power over other people. And that's basically what that is. And um, we find that people who are um, higher in Machiavellianism are more likely to believe in conspiracy theories. And, and sort of the mechanism for this is that if they're Machiavellian, they kind of assume that other people are as well. So it's like using information about yourself to judge what others might have done and what events might have been possible. So if you're Machiavellian, you think, oh, okay, yeah, well, I would do that. So perhaps other people would do this as well. So then, therefore, you see the, the conspiracy theory more plausible. So you think it's more likely that people might have assassinated Princess Diana or faked 
moon landings or whatever. If it's possible for you, it's possible for anybody. So kind of personalizing a trait of ourselves and then projecting that onto another, even though exactly. that, person, that personality trait has no business whatsoever in a French paparazzi photographer in 1997. You've got that perfectly right. So it is this projection. You're using information about yourself and projecting that onto other people to try to kind of make sense of what might have happened. And so this conspiracy theory seems more realistic. That's what's going on there. So you you mentioned the education and level Mm -hmm. of education. Why does that play a role? Well, education is quite important. It doesn't doesn't mean that people who haven't had high levels of education are you know stupid or anything like that. Um, it doesn't mean that at all. What it actually means is that often a certain type of education will give people the tools and I guess skills to be able to reject information that's unreliable. So a lot of the time we kind of talk about conspiracy theories being related to critical thinking ability. But it's not so much an ability, it's a skill that can kind of be learned. So a lot of psychologists now are, are looking into how to improve education systems, like right from um, teaching ch- young children in school, the importance of critical thinking, because it's like a, it's a tool that you can use to be able to, I guess, critically evaluate information that you see, look at the source, where is that coming from, um, who's saying it, what's their authority to say this, what are their credentials, I suppose, in a way. So then you can kind of accept or reject that piece of information and it's easier for you to do that if you have those kinds of skills, I guess. So that's really what's what's kind of going on there. When I think about the, there's one particular person in my life who I adore and is very good at what they do but is just a bandit for... <laughs> staying up way too late at night, diving into filter bubbles and believing whatever shows yeah. up. But my assessment of this person is that they feel in a weird way, kind of like picking a scab, they feel a great amount of satisfaction like, ha, 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 now I know. Now I know something that he doesn't know. Mm. And I feel sure they feel a sense of safety, even if they're discussing or digging up something that would make you feel quite unsafe. This person feels a great sense of safety and surety that they are now more secure because they they know. Does that sound right? It does, yeah. And, and that nicely ties into another variable that we found in psychology that relates to conspiracy belief, and that's narcissism. And also another another factor which we call a need for uniqueness. So when you were describing your friend as thinking, you know, aha, I've got this information and I feel special now, I have this information that other people don't have, then I guess conspiracy theories, people look to them in attempt to sort of satisfy that need to feel unique and need to feel, I guess, a little bit better than other people. So if you have this information that other people don't have, then you can maintain this idea that you're special and different to others. So you've got unique information that others don't have. So you're better than them because they're in the dark, but you're not. They're sheep, but you're not. You can actually see what's going on. Wake up, sheeple! Sheeple, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Which is wild because I'm pretty sure Mark Maron came up with that and there's one person that has got nothing at all to do with conspiracies. It's Mark Maron. <laughs> sheeple. It's a good word. Yeah. It's a really good word. Back when he was on Air America, like, God, 20 years ago or whatever, like, yeah, it's an interesting word. It's a, it is. But the, the narcissism thing, there would need to be an element of that. You know, I 
did not do anything to do with physics after grade 10. And I'm sure there's people my age who didn't do that either. And they might've <laughs> failed it even. They just did grade 10 science and that was it. But now I am, a, I am 100% sure that there's no way that the planet is warming up or there is no way that physics works in this particular way and CO2 can form a blanketing layer of, of gas around the atmosphere. Like it's completely impossible. It's all the, the, the idea that I, I have to know more than mm. a PhD scientist. Yeah, that's right. I think that even if it might not ultimately be satisfying to have that belief, people think that it will be satisfying. And they think that yeah, having this information is somehow makes them powerful again. And if you think about a lot of, of situations like climate change, coronavirus, the situation that we're in now, people just do feel a little bit powerless and out of control. And if you think you know the truth and other people don't, then it helps you, like you say, to feel a bit safer, to feel a little bit more in control and satisfies this need that you might have to, I guess, have the knowledge and um, certainty that other people don't have. So um, whether or not they work, I don't think particularly they do satisfy these sorts of needs because if anything, people end up feeling worse if they believe in conspiracy theories. The more you kind of go down this rabbit hole, the less satisfying it actually becomes. You, you start to feel more, more powerless, more disillusioned. Um, you trust people much less. So I don't think it really works, but I think that people do use them as a coping mechanism and also a way to just generally feel good about themselves. I had to do a lot of work to get better from the illness that I described earlier. And a large part of that work was acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm -hmm. And that was just just being with how utterly horrible and awful the fact that I wanted to avoid actually was. And just being with the fact that this is awful. Yes, it's awful. But therapists would be like, yes, it is. It's horrible. Can you stick with holding? Can you think about it for another 30 seconds? Yeah, my body's shaking and I want to vomit, but I can think about it for another 30 seconds. How much of wanting to believe in a conspiracy theory is an avoidance behavior? I think it kind of is. And we have actually done some research on this quite recently, actually, um, that people will turn to conspiracy theories when they want to find a way to cope, which doesn't actually address the issue that you really need to be thinking about. So they do turn to conspiracy theories as an avoidant type of coping mechanism. And it's linked to anxiety as well. People will turn to conspiracy theories when they're anxious. But in terms of coping, this is definitely something that people do. They will turn to these theories and these explanations without actually confronting the real issues. They will just say, well, it's, it's all the government. They're doing all of this. Or, or even a conspiracy theory about climate change. Oh, it's just all a hoax. You know, this is not actually happening. So you don't actually really have to think about the real problems and face up to them. It's fascinating that trying to protect our own, and you mentioned earlier narcissism, as protecting our own ego from the idea that it might not be right about something will go to such a, a humongous length to, oh, no, no, it's a, it's a bunch of politicians worshipping a wooden owl in the woods. That is why things are the way they are. It's not, you know, for any, this is the only reason. Is the idea to want to simplify things a part of it? You know, I'm, you know I was thinking about this the other day. To think about why have we not made action on climate change, you're going to have to kind of understand that it's like 
a hundred million different moving parts failing to come to a compromise with a hundred million other different moving parts over a hundred million completely separate and awfully complicated problems. That is just far too big to think about. However, I can say, I don't know, Karen, climate change, it's the Koch brothers manipulating the global market for their own financial gain. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. It's simpler. Yeah. It kind of breaks, like you say, down all of these extremely complex phenomena, all of these extremely difficult events to come to terms with and breaks it down into a very, very simple explanation. Often the explanation can be very, very simple, but then people start adding all of these layers to it, which makes it more complicated. But at the very heart of it, and actually at the very heart of most conspiracy theories, you find this very, very broad underlying belief that something is wrong. And if you start from there, then that's something that a lot of people can relate to and a lot of people that resonates with a lot of people. So, um, yeah, then you've got the, the starting point for a lot of conspiracy theories, most conspiracy theories. Obviously, these things, like any idea, I mean, it, it does get into murky waters. And I'm fascinated with, as I mentioned before, like there's parts of our brain that have evolved to want connection, parts of our brain that have evolved to want a solidarity. You know, I have this in common with you, therefore I feel safer. Mm-hmm. Those parts of our brain to be approved of, as you mentioned before, to feel special or be made to feel special, to have access to knowledge that other people don't and that knowledge will then therefore make us safer. Yeah. Parts of those things that we've evolved with to keep alive and become the dominant species on the planet seem to have been taken advantage of by, and I'm going to get into very hot water here, you do not have to agree with me, in similar ways, you know, certain religions, certain cults, certain political parties or political movements. You know what I mean? Like there's an element of belief Mm -hmm. that is required to be a part of all these clubs that is not fact. But I can believe something. If I filled my little room here with five people and say, no, no, we all believe this and you don't, eventually you might go, maybe I might, what what do they know that I don't? And then then you're sucked in (laughs) and then there's six of us. And we kind of keep like water droplets in a pond all grabbing together. You know, the surface tension sucks us all together. And Mm. I I kind of find it fascinating that our brains are vulnerable to that kind of manipulation. Yeah, they are. I mean, I guess everybody has a need to belong. To some degree, you want to belong and you want to get along with other people. And that's quite a fundamental need that we actually have. And I think that going along with others is something that we do to avoid social pressures. That's just something that we do. But it is also the case that belief in conspiracy theories is related to some of these other phenomena that you've described, such as religious belief and um, other types of paranormal belief as well. And that's not to say that all religious believers believe in conspiracy theories or vice versa, or all people who believe in out-of-body experiences are religious or or believe in conspiracy theories, but there um, is a relationship there. So those types of beliefs do go together at least a little bit. There's some association there. So people who are are religious are more likely to believe in conspiracy theories than non-believers. Because I think the thing that many people, well, I certainly struggle with is how vehemently those who are in the belief of a conspiracy theory or or some kind of conspiracy, how vehemently they will defend it as if it's a personal attack when you challenge it. Why do people feel it's a personal attack when you challenge a claim, for example, like uh, someone who, what's what's something that's fairly benign, like a flat earther, all right? When you go, but mate, the earth's not flat. 
like we could we're discussing a point yeah we could like you know it's like my bicycle's my bicycle's black and orange no yeah. it's not my bicycle's gray you know it's just a fact about a, an object all right mm. but when i say no the earth's not flat this person feels that I am going, and your mother's a horrible person. You know, like, um, <laughs> why do people defend their thing as if you're attacking them personally? I think because um, it, it just becomes something that's very, very important. It becomes an attitude that people do hold on to very, very strongly. In some other cases, something that's quite trivial, they're not really going to bother if someone comes along and says, well, no, that's wrong. I don't believe you. They just shut that off. It's not important. But for something like this, it can become an all-consuming very, very strong attitude. And when you have an attitude that's very, very strong, and the same goes for your political beliefs, you know, religious beliefs and all those sorts of things as well, um, they're very, very important to you and also can become a very, very strong part of your identity as an individual, like who you are, just like your political beliefs do as well. So if someone comes along and attacks that belief, then that is something that you will want to very, very strongly defend because you don't want to let that go. You don't think that should go and challenge. You believe it. You very, very strongly believe that it's true, and you don't want anybody to challenge this extremely strong and important belief to you. It seems to me that some of the more powerfully motivating conspiracy theories are definitely people consolidate along lines of personal value. For example, like a, a vaccination is very much a, an appeal to purity, an appeal to, oh, no, I am more pure. Because I do not, I do not have like, and I don't eat meat. I haven't eaten an animal product in nearly twenty years. All right, so me too. Although I'm a bit naughty with cheese sometimes, but I've been vegetarian. What are you going to do? Many, many years. <laughs> but I'm not telling you anything you don't know. When there are people within the plant-based or vegan community who are like an extremist resistance fighter as far as dogmatism around. Oh, really? Also, your headphones. Oh, you bought them secondhand, but there's, there's still leather there, isn't there? Yeah, well, I guess you're not as pure as me, are you, mate? There's a value that, that some of these things, they tend to uh, organise along like a personal value uh, alignment. Have you have you found that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that like a, alongside the people who like to criticise vegans, I think that people feel threatened by that particular, I, I suppose, now my values are coming out here now. They deep down know that what they're doing is wrong. And a way of kind of getting around that is to tell other people, well, you know, you're not, you're not so holier than thou yourself. And I think that conspiracy believers sort of do that as well. Again, they, they feel very, very, very strongly about what they think is the truth. And they will look to pick holes in other people's kind of moral standards, the tiny little nuances of these people's beliefs. They look for ways to kind of get in there and, and attack those as a way, again, of defending their own belief, if that makes sense. Very much, very much so. And it, it, I'm sure anyone that just heard you describe that can relate to a conversation they've had with a mate who's just spent far too long on Facebook, which, you know, does lead me to my next, you know, thing I'd like to talk to you about. It's only been a couple of years, 15 years since Facebook showed up. Mm. But and I believe it was, it was Roger McNamee who was one of Zuckerberg's advisors and has written a book called Zucked, which is a it's an extraordinary book. But he's of this view that if you spend, like, all it takes is just a couple of months, like maybe six months in the right Facebook groups and the right YouTube channels, and okay. it's going to be almost impossible to get you back. So we've invented these tools that are able to program us and hack our ability to perceive reality faster than has ever happened before in history. How do you go up against that? 
Yeah, well, it's very, very difficult. And I think the big tech companies, Facebook, Twitter, etc., have come under a lot of scrutiny recently because they do have a lot of conspiracy-related content and they've been very, very strongly challenged about this and have actually, as far as I know, come up with ways to sort of block that content so that people don't over-consume this information or it doesn't pop up in their news feed or in recommended advertisements and that sort of thing. It doesn't. It's not supposed to come through to people as much as it normally would. But I guess social media and the internet, it's, it's a really interesting way to kind of look at conspiracy theories. Like a lot of scholars would say that the internet and social media has been amazing for conspiracy theories and theorists because it's so much easier to find this information than ever before and people can share it and find other people. But I guess I don't think it's quite that straightforward and some research suggests that people who are not interested in conspiracy theories won't search for that information. They won't search for it and therefore they won't find it unless somehow it manages to filter its way through their social media somehow. But they won't see that material. The only people who will see that material are people who are that way inclined in the first place. So it isn't necessarily the case that the internet and social media has increased conspiracy theories, but it's actually a way of polarizing people who are already interested in conspiracy theories. So they'll search for this information, they'll enter these groups, they'll consume this information, they'll talk to other people, and their attitudes will become stronger, whereas people who are not interested will never get there in the first place. So I don't think it's necessarily making things a whole lot worse in that people would need to be, I guess, receptive to that information in the first place to go down that route, I think. But you've got to admit, though, that in the earliest days of the internet, when there was an odd, one of the best ones, you'd have to look into the Wayback Machine, which is an an internet archive thing. It was a thing called the Time Cube, Mm -hmm. and it was this never-ending HTML screen that went for 400 feet of scrolling, and it was just this complete ranting of someone who was probably, and I can say this because I've been on and off and back on again, someone in need of medication. Mm -hmm. And... When those videos are made and they look just like a newscast or when the article looks just like a news bulletin or it is masquerading as how actual researched and ethically sourced facts are presented, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier, if you are unable to discern the difference between this is an article written by someone who went to university, has an ethical obligation to their union, their legion of other journalists to present facts as if they were, mm. this is someone who drives a forklift and spends way too much time drinking highly caffeinated fizzy drinks and has written something, you know, just full of trigger words and, and photoshopped images, but they look the same. Yeah. If you are unable to discern that, then you're boom, you're tripping for and, and now you're in it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that does happen. I think probably, again, you have to be interested in it in the first place to actually open it up and, and But, of course, and it's interesting, it. though, Karen. Of course, <laughs> we, you know, people want to, like, ooh, contrails? That's interesting. I've seen those things. <laughs> I always wondered what they were. And, you know, it's interesting. The stuff kind of, it really is. It's a bloke on the corner going, Psst, come over here. I've got something to tell you. It's a secret. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's... It's super interesting. They are. They're extremely interesting. They're incredibly entertaining. But I guess if you know what you're looking for and you know how to reject information that's just not right, then you're going to be able to resist these things. (laughs) 
<laughs> I come across a lot. And it's not just like a lot of people think that conspiracy theories are just all for right-wingers. They're actually not. I see lots of left-wing conspiracy content and also lots of left-wing kind of fake news as well, which is something that's closely related to conspiracy theories. Uh, I mean, yeah. not, not all fake news is conspiracy theories, but a lot of fake news contains conspiracy theories. I mean, I think that with political ideology, you do see a lot more of this going on at the right wing end of the spectrum, mm. but it also does occur more at the extreme left as well. It's very, very complex. There's a lot kind of going on. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Over the course of the research that you've done, you would have spoken to, uh, I think the technical term is a shitload of people who (laughs) believe things that are not true, but believe them so much so that they are right in on it. What have you learned about observing cognitive dissonance in someone when you challenge them or when you ask them about what it is they believe? Mm, I think it's very, very difficult to challenge somebody who believes in a conspiracy theory. And I, to be honest, don't really make a habit of it because one thing I find is that people who have spent a lot of time researching conspiracy theories, and sometimes this is just very broadly or a specific conspiracy theory, like about climate change or 9-11, they've thought about it a lot more than I have and they've done a lot more what they would call research on this topic. So anything that I say, they will be able to come back with some kind of counterpoint. And often I won't have heard of this particular element of the conspiracy theory, so I won't exactly know how to immediately respond to this until I've read about it myself. Again, these people have done a lot more thinking about this topic than I have, and um, they hold these beliefs very, very strongly. So, A, they don't want to be challenged because they believe this is the truth and they hold on to this belief very, very strongly. And, B, they kind of know a bit more about the various theories surrounding these events than I think I ever could know as a researcher on this topic. It's just the way it is. I would put it to you, though, that you're not fighting the same fight. 
though. You are a university professor who has, over a long and difficult academic career where you miss people's birthdays and stuff, learned how to discern from good information from bad, and you treat research and you treat sources with not equal weight and value, depending on where they come from. And, you know, I would put it to you that you are trying to play an honourable game of, say, for example, tennis, and this person's jumping in there with, you know, they want they want to throw machetes. Like, it's two different games. And it's not the same yeah. conversation to give the, the same weight to an argument to this kind of person. No. But it's your instinct to treat it that way. Yeah, that's right. It is, it is a completely different fight. I'm actually not in the game of debunking the conspiracy theories. Like I couldn't tell you for sure, no, that's, that's absolutely false. I have my own opinions and I know a bit about these things, but that's really not, as a psychologist, what I'm yeah. most able to do. I can help people understand why these conspiracy theories are interesting to people and why they're important to people and the kinds of consequences that they might have for people in society. But I actually don't make a habit of arguing whether or not these conspiracy theories are true. Probably good. Mm. But that that is the thing, because I'm, I'm sure people are listening and, you know, I'm asking this for myself because, you know, now I think about it, there's more than one person in my life that I do care about a lot and I just don't know what to do because I can see there was a time in my life when I got quite ill and I couldn't leave the house. I didn't want to leave the house. I was afraid to leave the house. I couldn't look other people in the eye. I was very twitchy. I saw, you know, I was jumping at spiders. You know, every mm. shadow was proof that something was wrong. All right. And I, I saw the confirmation of what I believed in everything that I witnessed. And it was terrifying. Okay. Mm. If there is someone in our life who we are quite worried about, someone who might be sharing things online or, you know, don't want to talk about it or, you know, I can't talk to you on WhatsApp, on my Facebook, we have to go to Signal. What can we do? What are some ways that we can start to talk to that person? And we'd have to be obviously very gentle, like a hostage negotiator, really. We have to be like, uh, you know, how do we approach without having them then shut us off? Like, what are some ways that we can do that? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's actually really tricky because these beliefs are so strongly held. They, uh, it's very, very difficult to challenge them. And again, these people have thought about these things a lot more. So any points that you make, they will automatically reject a lot of the time or accuse you of being part of a conspiracy. I think there are things that you can do and also things that you shouldn't do as well. I guess one of the things that would be counterproductive would be to ridicule the person. Nobody likes that. And again, you're just likely to alienate this person further and make them feel nobody wants to listen, nobody wants to talk, everybody just thinks you're you're a crackpot. So I think that that would be kind of counterproductive and I think that there's probably a technique that might be quite effective in that a lot of people who believe strongly in conspiracy theories would characterize themselves as critical thinkers. They would accuse everybody else of not being critical thinkers, say, well, you know, you're not looking into this enough, you're not doing the research, you're not finding out the truth. So um, one strategy might be to, I guess, flip that over and start talking to the person about critical thinking and ask them about where they've got their information, what are the places they found this information from, and challenge them in that way. So in other words, challenge them to think critically about the information that they've drawn on to get to where they are. So you're going to call yourself a critical thinker, well, think critically about these things. And um, even though I wouldn't have any evidence to say whether or not that's effective, I 
have a feeling that it might be effective. I think it's a tool that's often used in people who have become radicalised, politically radicalised in some way. So I think that maybe there might be some parallels to draw with conspiracy believers and that that might be something that could work. Yeah, above and beyond that, I'm not really sure. (laughs) The first thing that you mentioned was is so important because the temptation to ridicule, it's a layup. It's so easy Mm. to go, are you fucking joking? It's 24 degrees and it's the middle of July. The fuck is wrong with you? You know, <laughs> like I'm wearing shorts. The fuck's your problem, man? Like we're standing in the evidence. Yeah. You know, and it's terrifying. That is terrifying. That is utterly terrifying, right? But I can see that though it is very tempting to ridicule, all it does is shove the person further down the hole and further away from reality and, and further towards people who are even more extreme than they are. And it might not be a direct challenge of their belief, but perhaps an effort to just kind of reach out and normalise communications, maybe go for a walk, have a cup of tea, you know, have a chat, try and help re-engage with reality in a way. Because I think that's the thing that I kind of get concerned about when I look at the amount of communication that is not taking place face-to-face as somebody who, I'm wearing headphones right now, I won't tell you how loud they're turned up, but I do wear hearing aids. And so I know how much communication is verbal and how mm-hmm. much communication is non-verbal. It's about 7% is the words that we use mm-hmm. of communication, mm-hmm. all right? Non-verbal communication, my hands, my face, my facial expressions, whether I blush or not, the tone of my voice, all these things paint the picture, the context of where we speak, where we're standing, my role, my situation, my relationship to you, the power structure, whatever. So much of our communication is just text, all right? Mm -hmm. That has no context, has no, nothing to stand on. And people's behavior is based upon communications that doesn't have the robust, resilient foundations of everything else that goes on around it. And people are making decisions based upon that. And I certainly wonder are we going to get to a point where we just kind of decouple from reality completely and that out here, I walk down my street, everything's fine, but when I turn on my phone, the world is on fucking fire and, you know, everyone around me is a one-nation voter and therefore now I start making decisions in my own life based not on reality. And then that gets super weird and I kind of wonder, you know, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I do get particularly now as we get closer to the 3rd of November, which is the date of the American election, Mm. what are some things we might want to look out for when it comes to, it was Carl Sagan, I believe, that said extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. I I adore Carl Sagan. As we get closer to the American election, there's going to be more and more of this stuff out there. What are some things we should look out for to try to insulate ourselves, I guess? Oh, that's a very good question. Probably, yeah, quite a lot of things. Be very, very vigilant about the news that you read. And again, think very critically about the sources where it's coming from. I would say don't read a certain person's tweets too much because um, a lot of them contain conspiracy theories and I think that a lot of people are very, very persuaded by those. Just be really careful about the information that's coming your way. And I think that we in Britain did suffer a lot from conspiracy theories around the Brexit referendum and they they had quite an important influence on on the outcome I feel and we've done some research to suggest that people who did believe in um, the Brexit conspiracy theories were more likely to have voted to leave the European Union these sorts of things are powerful and it's good to be on the lookout for them 
I mean, that's not to say don't consume information widely. I think that's very, very important as well. But also just be quite critical of what you're reading and where it's coming from. I guess you could also, you know, keep a lookout for things like, you know, really simple stuff and they there's alliteration and so they're easy to remember. Possibility does not equal probability mm-hmm. and correlation does not equal causation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just try and run through things. Through. Are there other sort of filters like that that we can kind of look at things through? Yeah, I guess so. And I think that's all just part of the same critical thinking sort of um, scenario. I think just be wary of slogans and things like that, but also sometimes they're good to keep in the back of your mind because they're actually true. But yeah, I think just be careful, be on the lookout. But at the same time, don't stick too closely to your preconceived ideas because you could be missing something as well. How did you get sucked in to conspiracy theories? What was it about it that you know, made you like the, the world's foremost expert on the subject? <laughs> well, I just thought they were fascinating, to be honest. I mean, before I started doing research on conspiracy theories, I was doing quite a bit of research on, on social influence, so how people use various strategies, like mainly linguistic strategies, to try to influence people and persuade them, um, and also how people sort of perceive the process of persuasion. So I was just working with a student at the time and we were trying to work out what to do and we came up with the idea of conspiracy theories. The starting point was to try to work out if they actually have any influence on what people think. So they're everywhere, we see them everywhere, but are they actually having any influence on people or are they just sort of disappearing? And this was back in 2007 or 2008, so a long time ago now. So we focused on Princess Diana conspiracy theories and found that they actually did quite significantly influence how people evaluated that event, whether or not he thought it was an assassination or whether she died in the car crash, as the official explanation goes. But people weren't really aware that their attitudes had changed. So these conspiracy theories almost had like a hidden, I guess, influence on people's attitudes. So it just sort of went from there, got quite fascinated mm. about those sorts of questions, like, well, they actually do really influence people. So we need to understand a little bit more about why why people believe them in the first place, why some people do and some people don't, and um, also what some of the consequences of having these sorts of beliefs are. Like if you believe a conspiracy theory or if a lot of people believe in a conspiracy theory, like anti-vax kind of movement, that sort of thing, then what does that actually do? And I became interested in it from there, I guess. And Yeah, and, and it's such important work, particularly now that, if JFK was assassinated, if Lee Harvey Oswald didn't act alone, which was the, the kind of big one f- forever, mm-hmm. that really doesn't have much effect on me as a person in Australia, right? Yeah. But Donald Trump tweeting that climate change is a Chinese hoax designed to erode the American manufacturing base, mm. that directly affects me. Yeah. It's got n- nothing to do with reality, but it's, a w- it's like weaponized. This conspiracy theory is now kind of, weaponized and he's put this mimetic idea out there that then because of who he is and the influence that he holds and how much it can get spun around and repeated, the contagion of that idea just spreads so rapidly and then it becomes a reality, even though it's inaction on climate change becomes a reality Um, based upon... So it's it's so important to understand and I'm just bloody grateful that you're doing the work because it's really, really important as we... (laughs) As the news cycle speeds up, as the power of an idea and the ability for an idea, true or untrue, to get amplified so enormously to a point where it doesn't matter if it's true or untrue, it's now accepted. Mm -hmm. More than any time in history, 
it's so important to understand. Mm. And because you said you were working on influence, I'm so glad that I made and get in kind of touch with you because if I ever choose to go on Survivor, I am calling you and you and I are having a secret chat. <laughs> <laughs> About I how say, I might make. I would say don't do it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's the most amazing show. Have you ever watched it? I have, but it's scary. I would never do that. <laughs> I only I only asked this because the guy that won this year came on my show and he was like, oh, no, no, I went and studied with a, what is it called, NLP guy. And, I, you know, he would do things like 15 times over a course of five days, touch someone on the elbow while he did them a favour, all right? Mm-hmm. And then on the 16th time, when it was, I need you to vote with me on this tribal, of course they said yes. And they, they didn't realise that they'd been yeah, yeah. essentially manipulated. He was very, yeah, very clever guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's important to understand that stuff. Using psychology, yeah. I like that. It's really, really interesting. <laughs> Look, I'm so grateful that I, uh, I was able to speak with you today and I'm, I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for your time. I know you're a very, 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 very busy person. If people want to find out more about the kind of stuff that you're talking about, if people are kind of interested, where would you say, what's the next move? What's the next thing that someone should go and read up on? Well, I think there are some really nice books that are available if you want to get a very popular science sort of understanding. There are a couple of books. If you just search on Amazon, you'll find, find one of my former undergraduate students has written a book about conspiracy theories. His name's Robert Brotherton. It's a very nice, nice book. And various things like that. I mean, some of the academic papers that we've written are not too horrendous to read, I would hope. We've written a couple of nice summaries, I think, of all of the literature, everything that we kind of know on conspiracy theories. And I'd say some of those articles aren't too bad to read, but there's a lot out there, but I guess just be very careful about what you Google and don't go down the route of actually believing a lot of these conspiracy <laughs> theories that can be dangerous. <laughs> Amazing. It's really, really important. It's, it's, it really is It's the defensive reality, mm. you know, particularly when it th- comes to things like climate and vaccination. I mean, like, are we coming towards the mother of all conspiracy battles as the COVID-19 vaccine comes towards us? I think so, yeah, yeah. And I know people who are working on looking at the psychological factors that would predict whether or not a person would accept or reject COVID-19 vaccination and belief in conspiracy theories about vaccination generally does, does come up as quite a major predictor and people have been suspicious about vaccines since the history of vaccines. But these conspiracy theories have just gained so much more traction in recent years, especially when a lot of famous people are telling the public, no, these aren't safe and they don't work. Don't get your children vaccinated. Don't vaccinate yourself. And, um, yeah, we, we know that these conspiracy theories are having an impact on people's choices and they will have an impact on whether or not people choose to be vaccinated against COVID-19. They just will. Wow. Well, um, it's going to be an interesting couple of years ahead of us. And uh, I'm grateful that there's someone like you doing the work that you're doing and and teaching others to look into why it is the way it is so we can, in many ways, vaccinate ourselves from this kind of Mm -hmm. mind viruses that Mm. can infect us. Which can be done if if you consume the right information before you come across the conspiracy theories. Then the conspiracy theories don't work as well. This actually does happen. You can essentially inoculate people against these sorts of ideas, but it's quite tricky because the conspiracy theories often get in there first. 
So by consuming the right information, what do you mean? Well, like in terms of vaccines, then information that's coming from health authorities and scientists, um, medical professionals, about um, the safety and efficacy of vaccines rather than what Celebrity X has Mm. said on Instagram. Yeah. I guess if the basis of you arguing your conspiracy theory involves you completely dismantling every power structure that is used to argue against you, you may want to think about your argument. Like, well, of course they'd say that because they're, you know, they're getting paid. Well, of course they'd say that because, you know, that's the state. Well, of course they'd say that because, you know, and how far back are you going to go? Well, it's the church. Well, it's whatever, you know, how far back can you go? If If you're finding yourself having to completely try and knock every Lego tower down, you might want to look at what your argument is standing on. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I better jump upstairs and and put our fully vaccinated baby to bed. Oh, uh, <laughs> your baby. Uh, well, we've got two. One's sixteen years old, and the other oh. one's ten months. Oh wow! So both are fully vaccinated. That's good to know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The sixteen-year-old, she's amazing. She's an extraordinary kid, a powerful young woman, and uh, oh, very clever, that's nice. and a delight to be around. And uh, the ten-month-old is, oh, crikey, he's nearly eleven months now. Good lord, he'll be one soon. He's great. <laughs> oh. He's having a, he's having a great time. We're trying to inoculate him against going to sleep while being cuddled. <laughs> At the moment. That is a challenge. I remember those days. It was a long time ago, but I remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're getting there. All right, Karen, I meant what I said. Get in touch if you ever need anything, okay? Will do. Thanks so much. All right, that is Karen Douglas. Thank you very, very much for sticking with it and listening to the show. Uh, she's a, a brilliant person. I hope that really helped you understand the people in your life that might have been seduced by that kind of stuff and or if you're, you yourself have been tickled a little around the ears by, you know, a fantastical, interesting story about how this thing that we all believe to be true isn't actually true because here's what's really going on. Know the truth. Do your research with a capital E just to kind of understand what it is that's happening in our brains and what it is that's happening to us and our sense of needing to belong and our sense of wanting to have some control and our sense of wanting to feel special that leads us to want to believe such things. I certainly found that conversation incredibly illuminating and I, and I hope that is the same for you. If, you. if you've got some value out of it and you may want to consider you know, helping me out, please share the episode with someone that you feel needs to hear it. I better jet. I'm about to drive into a tunnel that is about to go underwater because I live in the future and um, go to the other side of the harbour, which is exciting. Um, some rad conspiracies about Sydney Harbour, by the way. Did you know that? Like, it's not real, but there's a conspiracy theory that people died during the manufacture, manufacture, building, construction of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And because they were itinerant workers, they were, you know, people that no one really cared about. These men apparently fell inside the pylons and um, it was too much work to fish them out, so they left them in there. I don't think that's real because the same story happened around the Hoover Dam. So I don't think either of those things are real, but... What conspiracy theories are, huh? All right, I'm in a tunnel. You're awesome. Wherever you're doing, wherever you're doing, whoever you're doing, that's even worse. Whatever you're doing, I hope you're having a great time. Wow. I just watched a guy in a tunnel take a a wild three-lane sojourn and narrowly avoid a crikey. That fellow almost flipped his truck, but he didn't. Yeah, he lives to play another day. I hope he gets where he's going. I hope whatever it is that was so important to make that kind of move was worth it. I hope he's okay. Anyway, I hope whatever you're doing is great. Stay safe. Wash your hands. 
keep calm, carry on. Remember that, you know, we, we are all in this together. We're not only trying to stop the COVID-19 virus from spreading so that other people don't get sick, we're trying to make sure that if those people get sick, they'll clog up the hospitals. And then when we get sick, we won't have a hospital to go to. So just don't forget, that's the thing we're really trying to do. We're gonna to try to make sure that the healthcare system keeps working. If you need a selfish reason to wear a mask or to wash your hands or to stay safe or to keep your distance when you're in the shops and you pass me and you wanna cough on your hands and then grab something and then put it back on the shelf. Yes, mate, I'm talking to you, the bloke I saw the other day at the supermarket. Yes, I don't think you listen, but anyway. I love you, thanks for listening. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of really, really, really beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.